Well, good morning, everybody. And if you can make your way to your seats and open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read God's Word, 2 Timothy Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And if uh, you also can open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19, put your finger in there as well. We're going to read that passage as well. In our first sermon in our sermon series, Sola Scriptura, is the title of the passage, This uh, the title of the uh, sermon this morning. So Sola Scriptura in our five solas series, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Read God's word uh, together with me. And uh, it was so funny, last Sunday, um, Tracy Putnam got me a uh, Martin Luther Lego. And so that that was pretty awesome, you know, just in uh, prepping to get us excited about the series. So, Tracy, thank you for the Martin Luther Lego. Uh, I just, I couldn't stop looking at that and laughing, and neither could my kids. We had a great time with that one last week. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, the word of God says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Again, the title of the sermon this morning is Sola Scriptura. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we enter into this sermon series, I pray that you would strengthen our love for your word, our love for your truth, and that we would be growing more and more in our our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that you would strengthen us and that you would cause us to praise you for your faithfulness to your church down through the ages. And we are so grateful for the way that you have preserved your word for us. Cause us to love it. Cause us to read it and to be strengthened by it as we grow in our knowledge of your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first point in the uh, message this morning is the final authority. The final authority. 500 years ago this month, um, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his now famous 95 Theses onto the door of the Wittenberg Church front door. This scene is captured in the Luther movie that we're going to be showing at the church house later this week. These 95 theses were initially intended to spark merely a debate, and instead of that, it sparked the Protestant Reformation and the recovery of the gospel of grace in the life of the church. 
there were five famous solas of the Reformation. Sola is Latin for alone. Sola Scriptura is Scripture alone. Sola Fide, faith alone, which we'll look at next week. Sola Gratia, or grace alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. And also Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. So this morning, we're going to begin a short series, and we're going to mine out these five solas and see the Lord's faithfulness to us, His people, in the preservation of His Word, and in the recovery of the gospel of grace. After for many hundreds of years, the light was turned down very dim as man sought under the power of the enemy to sort of snuff out the light of the gospel. God caused the light of his glorious gospel to shine bright once again to his glory. And the first of the five solas is sola scripture, which means that only scripture, only scripture is the inerrant final authority for our lives. Only scripture is the inerrant final authority for our lives. Matthew Barrett writes this, Sola Scriptura means that only Scripture, because it is God's inspired Word, is our inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, the Word of God says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so, only Scripture is the inerrant, final authority for our lives because it's been breathed out by God. Now, for the Roman Catholic Church then, during the time of the Reformation, and now, Scripture and church tradition were and are inerrant authorities to them. For Luther and the Reformers, Scripture alone is the only inerrant authority. Popes and church councils and church traditions are not inerrant. This is a massive thought. Those have often erred, but only God's Word and Scripture alone has never erred and is perfect and therefore is the final authority in the life of God's people and in the church. Scripture alone is the church's final authority, and it's sufficient for faith and practice. Therefore, all church tradition is subject to and to be evaluated by Scripture. Only teaching that is tested according to God's Word and that is in alignment with God's Word is to be received by the Christian, and by the church. We see this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, when the word of God commends the Jews who were in Berea. When Paul preached the gospel there, it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they would listen to the Apostle Paul preach, but then they would follow up and they would go back over and make sure that the teaching was in accordance with Scripture. It's a great practice and one that we should follow. Because only Scripture is the inerrant final authority for our lives. 
Now, this conviction that the Bible alone is inspired by God and is the final authority led to the conviction by the Reformers that the Bible needs to be translated into the language of the people. And the Scriptures get put into their hands so that they can read and be transformed by it. You can thank the Protestant Reformation for the fact that you have a Bible in English in your hands this morning and on your phone. So the Scriptures were translated during this time into German and then also into English. This infuriated the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church because they held that only the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church can rightly interpret God's Word. And so only their interpretation could be right. And therefore was the only authoritative interpretation of Scripture. They wrongly taught that the Bible was a dark and mysterious book. And only leaders, experts, can interpret it accurately. And so they often just preached in Latin. And the people, some and many who were even illiterate, couldn't understand it during the Mass, and they couldn't understand the Gospel. They couldn't understand the Word of God. So the Word of God was kept away from the people, and thus the era prior to the Protestant Reformation is called the Dark Ages. You may have heard that in your history books, because the light of the truth of Scripture and the light of the Gospel of grace that we have come to cherish were largely being kept back from the starving people of God through false teaching for many hundreds of years. But thank God he caused the light of his glorious word to shine once again upon his people in great measure so that they could understand God's love in Christ and the salvation that comes to all this morning who would repent and believe and put their trust in Jesus and his death on the cross for their sins. Indeed, anybody who puts their trust in Jesus here this morning and who repents and turns away from their sins, can be forgiven and cleansed from their sins and receive the gift of eternal life. And I want to encourage all of you to do so if you haven't, and to do so at this time. Luther came under fire after his 95 theses challenged the Pope. And for the next number of years, the heat increased for him as Rome sought to get him to recant his beliefs in the authority of God's word and his belief in sola scriptura. And also his belief in the gospel of grace. That man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Luther would not recant. And thank God he didn't. First, he was excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church in January 3rd, 1521. And then they demanded that he recant again in the famous Diet of Worms or the Assembly of Worms, which was a city on the Rhine River in April 18th, 1521. This was just a number of years after the 95 Theses being nailed to the door. So Luther was put on trial by the Roman Catholic Church, in front of the emperor, Charles V. And his famous words, standing upon the word of God, were these. Listen carefully. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, 
and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And in saying these words, Luther had no idea what would happen next. In fact, a hundred years prior to this, John Huss was promised that he would get safe passage to and from his trial, and yet he was martyred instead. These were courageous words. These were bold words. It said, I am bound by the Scriptures. My conscience is captive to the Word of God, and so I cannot and will not recant anything. And according to church tradition, Luther is said to have declared, Here I stand, I can do no other. Before concluding with God, help me, amen. So Luther stood firm upon the word of God. He was bound by the scriptures. His conscience captive to the word of God. And therein describes what sola scriptura does in the life of the true believer. Luther challenged the authority of the church, the Roman Catholic church, by maintaining that all doctrines not found in Scripture, should be discarded, should be rejected. Now, amazingly, God protected him, and he left the Diet of Worms or the Assembly of Worms without being killed. He was actually kidnapped by his allies in an amazing story and was taken safely back and hid in the Wartburg Castle where he got about the business of translating the New Testament from the original Greek manuscripts into German. Luther got away free. What's And that's a famous story. What's often not heard is that later that year, there were additional arrests that were made amongst the Augustinians in Antwerp. These were friends of Luther men who were disciples of Luther and believed the same things. These two monks, Johann Esch and Heinrich Vos, refused, just like Luther did, to recant. On July 1st, just a number of months, after these, just a little while after the time Luther stood, they were burned at the stake in Brussels. In 1523. So Luther continued to be hunted. He had to be hid. And he translated the New Testament into German. Until the following March. 1522. When he came out of hiding. And started preaching. Some famous sermons. He was seeking to tell the people. That we need to put our trust in the word. And not in our own efforts. To quell. Error. And Luther said this in one of his sermons. For the word created heaven and earth and all things. The word must do this thing. And not we poor sinners. And then in this famous quote he says. In short. I will preach it. Teach it. Write it. But I will constrain no one by force. Which was a major controversy at this time. For faith must come freely. Without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences in all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught 
preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I love that quote, don't you? He felt like all he did was sleep and drink Wittenberg beer while the word did it all. He stood upon the word, Luther did, and the word did everything. He stood upon the word and he relied solely upon the word. And may we do the same in our lives, brothers and sisters. May we lay hold of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and let it burn like a fire in our heart that all scripture is breathed out by God. As B.B. Warfield said, produced by God's creative breath. It's inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Let me ask us, is the Word of God in Scripture the final authority in our lives? Will I keep the Word? Will you? Even when it hurts and is hard. What I am feeling is often my functional authority. Often. Can you relate to that? Imagine the difference it would make, though, if instead of gauging, how am I feeling today? Or how am I feeling right now? If rather we said to ourselves, not, you know, I feel this, or I think that, but rather, God's word says this. God's word says that. Imagine the strength that the truth of God's word would infuse into our daily lives if we would this morning embrace sola scriptura into our daily lives and have it be that only scripture is the inerrant final authority for our lives and even our emotions are subject and placed under the authority of the word of God. Oh yeah, it's not just popes and church tradition that needs to be put under the authority of the word, but our own feelings, our own thoughts, our human reason also. We must not ever elevate our human reason or ability to reason and elevate that above the scriptures functionally as well. Because as point two states, here's the second point, what scripture says God says. So the first point was the final authority. The second point is what scripture says, God says. And again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Because it is God-breathed, it is to be received as the very Word of God. First, First Thessalonians 2, verse 13, says this. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God which is at work in you believers. 
here Paul aware that what he wrote was to be received as Scripture, commends the Christians in Thessalonica for how they received the word. They received it not as the words of men, but as the word of God. And may we receive it as such as well. In receiving the word of God as the very words of God and in keeping those words, there is great reward. But brothers and sisters, in rejecting the word of God, in rejecting the scriptures, it's nothing short of rejecting God himself. Because what scripture says, God says. You see this theme throughout the scriptures, how we respond to the word preached or the word read or the word taught. Man will either harden his heart in unbelief or soften his heart with faith and receive it. So Saul, King Saul, under the prophet Samuel, rejected the word of the Lord in the book of Samuel, and the Lord rejected him. He rejected the word, the Lord rejected him. David kept God's word, and he was seen by God as a man after his own heart, Scripture describes. And may we all, like David, receive the word with faith. May we all come to church and count it serious business whenever we listen to the word of God preached and taught. Because listening is serious business. Because receiving the word with faith, receiving it with a soft heart, glorifies the Lord and ignites fresh faith in our hearts. And may we never, like Saul, reject the word of God in unbelief or drift away from receiving the word of God in faith and slowly grow dull to the word, slowly grow hardened to the word, Because in growing hardened to the word of God, we are actually growing hardened to God himself. Because what scripture says, God says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's his very word. So we must take this seriously, brothers and sisters. To reject God, we must remember, the Bible is very clear, it brings eternal punishment in hell upon the unrepentant and the unbelieving. But to receive God through faith in Christ, to take him at his word, the word of God incarnate. In John 1.1, the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. He brought eternal life. And look at all of the good that the word of God in scripture brings. If you look in Psalm 19, the passage that we read in the beginning. Psalm 19 describes the word. He says here, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Yes, it's perfect because it's breathed out by our perfect God who cannot tell a lie. It's perfect and it does something to us. The word of God, we've got to remember, it's it's living and active. So when you read God's word, it's not like reading the newspaper or a magazine. When you read scripture, It's different than any other book. It's alive. And it revives you. Many of us right now could say, man, I I need reviving. Well, open up your Bible. Get into it, brother. Get into it, sister, and allow it to rekindle and spark fresh faith and life into your soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And look what it does. The first one, it revives. This 
makes wise. If any of you are lacking wisdom, get into the word and the word will bring wisdom into your life. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Maybe you're feeling very downcast, even as a child of God being much struck down but not destroyed, as the Apostle Paul says. The word of God and the precepts of the Lord, they are right and true altogether. They cause your heart to rejoice. It can lift you up out of the slough of despond as Pilgrim's Progress talks about it. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, here's these, these happy effects of the word of God and what it does in the life of a believer who receives the word by faith. It enlightens the eyes. I've often heard it said that the eyes of Christians, you can tell somebody who is a Christian by looking into the eyes, there's an enlightening of the eyes that the Holy Spirit brings about through the Word of God and regeneration and being born again, that even us in our most broken at times have a life within our eyes that unbelievers just cannot have. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And here, here's to be the passion and the hunger that we are to have for the Scriptures themselves. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. This is how good they are to eat. And drippings of the honeycomb. We see also that the word of God warns us. By them is your servant warned and in keeping them. And here's a promise. Keeping the word of God brings great reward with it. Both now and at the judgment when we will be rewarded on that final day at the judgment seat of Christ. How we respond to the word of God matters because what scripture says, God says. Oh, brothers and sisters, my burden and my prayer for you as a church and for myself is that you would be revived this morning. And we need this reviving. We deprive ourselves of being revived when we deprive ourselves of the word of God. And we don't take it in. If God's word says to do something or to not do something, we need to remember that the commandments of the Lord are pure and good and righteous and true and good for your soul. The lie that Satan breathes that the commandments of God are like a chain and don't bring joy and happiness are are not true. That's a lie from the devil. If God's word says to do something or to not do something, then we don't even have to pray about what to do. God has spoken inerrantly and authoritatively and reliably through the scriptures. And so if God's word says it, we as believers want to say, you say it, I'm doing it, Lord. You're forbidding it, I'm backing off of it, Lord. That needs to be our mentality that we look at God's word and we say, oh, God, You are speaking to me authoritatively and inerrantly, and I submit myself and my life under your lordship as you speak your word. We should never take God's word, brothers and sisters, as mere advice. 
when somebody's ministering the word to us, it's not like we can kind of say, ah, you know what? Well, that's, that's one opinion. We should never take God's word as mere advice and subject it to our own reason and our own thoughts. And that would be to elevate our own thoughts and our feelings and making scripture subject to our feelings and our opinions and our thoughts. But rather, friends, we should always bring our thoughts and feelings under the authority of the word of God. As Psalm 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So they're not only pure, but they're perfectly pure. They're reliable, they're true, they're trustworthy, they're flawless, they're inerrant, they're sure, they're sound. And God exhorts us in his word to follow the pattern of sound words in the apostolic teaching in sacred scripture. There's freedom in this. Like there was freedom for Luther. There's, there's freedom in this because like Luther, we are bound by scripture and our consciences are to be captive to the word of God and the word of God's good. And it also means that we no longer have to be bound by the prison of the errant thoughts of man and the counsel of man that so often is unbiblical counsel. We no longer need to be bound by the prison of our own dark thoughts, but rather we can let the light in. And let it shine brightly and let it open the eyes of our hearts, as Ephesians says. And the more we read our Bibles, it's like opening up the curtains in a dark room. I'm going to say that again. Reading your Bible is like opening up the curtains in a dark room in your soul. It's like opening up the windows in a stuffy room that's long been without fresh air. We need our Bibles. We need to come before the Word of God. Again and again and again, it it brings light and life. It brings truth into your soul. And then you can see in a way that you didn't see before reading. And you can breathe free, knowing that God, what God says is life and health and peace. God's word is light. It brightens. It guides. It warms. It awakens. It banishes darkness of thought. It drives out the cobwebs of errant human thought. Jesus said in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Oh, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Oh, I love that scripture. God's word is like bread to a starving person. It, it, it feeds, it nourishes, it brings strength and growth as the spirit moves through the word. So sola scripture is vital to us today, just as it was for Luther at the assembly at Worms. And it may not be that the Catholic church puts you or I on trial, but perhaps, and we're not going to escape this, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted It's the world that's going to put us on trial, telling us that unless we let go of what the Bible says, we are going to be hated and treated as an outcast. And we need to, as church tradition has 
said of Luther, say, here I stand. I can do no other. May our consciences be bound by the word of God, just like Luther's was. Do I cherish my Bible? Do you? Do you see see it for the joyful, radiant light that it is? Do you see it as your best bread, the bread of life, ready to be partaken at every moment to revive you again and again? My wife Shannon was just telling me a story of a woman who just was going through a very, very dark and hard time, and she actually just kept her Bible open on her couch, and when thoughts would just bombard her or, or something would come through that would really disturb her and sink and crush her soul, she would run back over to her couch and dive back into her Bible, and what an example that woman is for all of us. What I can so often do, I was confessing this this past week, is I can endlessly brood over my thoughts and spin around in my thoughts. I need to open up the window. I need to open up the curtains. I starve myself and deprive myself of the reviving that only can come by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. We all need this, brothers and sisters. And listen, you know, have your, your, your Bible as the book ready and available in your home. If you've got it on your phone, may it be that we, we go to our Bible app faster than we go to Facebook. And we go to our Bible app faster than we go to the thoughts of men. We spend so much time before the thoughts and opinions of men. It's no wonder we're downcast. We need to be revived and renewed and restored by the power of the word of God and embrace that what scripture says, God says, and I need a word from God this morning. The living and active word of God will speak and it can bring great transformation in your life. Let me ask you, do you read it, study it, meditate on it? Do you pray through the word of God as you are making the decisions you're making? Do you let the Word of God guide you? Because what Scripture says, God says, friends, in reading Scripture, you encounter God Himself. In keeping Scripture, you obey God. In being guided by Scripture, you're being guided by the will of God. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, read scripture and let God's word be your perfect guide in that. Now, listen, this is an important point too. To say that the scriptures are the final, inerrant, and ultimate authority in our lives does not mean that there are no other spiritual authorities in our lives. Church counsel, teaching from pastors who faithfully under-shepherd and herald the word of God soundly, creeds from church history and sermons from church history can carry weight to the degree, to the degree that they are true to Scripture. So we say that Scripture alone is the inerrant final authority, but that is not to say that we can't benefit from books, from our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ that are sound and according to God's word. Because we can't. Commentaries, 
sermons that preach God's word are a blessing. And in Hebrews 13, verse 17, the word of God says in the NIV, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. There is a an authority that's real, but it's important to note this, and this is vital. It's a derived authority from the word of God, and it is not an ultimate or final authority. It's a derived authority and only to be heeded to the degree that it's faithful to the truth of Scripture. If it's not, we discard it. Church tradition can be a blessing. Creeds, like the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed, where in Nicaea in 325, there was a a, a creed that helped clarify the doctrine of the Trinity. That's to be embraced to the degree that it's true to Scripture. And we are ever being reformed according to Scripture. That was one of the principles of the Reformation and underneath of the doctrine of sola scriptura as well. The Chalcedonian Creed gives us a great faithful description of Christology and the person of Jesus Christ and his two natures, fully human and fully divine. It's a wonderful creed, but it is not an inerrant authoritative one. It carries weight and it carries authority to the degree that it is true to Scripture. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that there is a blessing that comes through the means of grace in God's church, but it is never to be elevated like the Roman Catholic Church did prior to the Protestant Reformation and even since the Protestant Reformation, where they say that the teaching of the Pope and the teaching of the church itself is on par with Scripture. Functionally, and this is what happens with Rome, what the Pope says trumps Scripture. Scripture is actually subjected to the teaching of the Pope. And so in in the 1800s, papal infallibility was a doctrine that was instituted, which said that the church and the Pope cannot err. It finally came about. And there is this divergence, this moving away from the fact that only God's word, only scripture is the inerrant final authority for our lives. Only scripture is breathed out by God and must be what the church feeds on. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep the word of God. So brothers and sisters, that's an important point to note. Our final point is, the scriptures are your very life. Being that all scripture is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16 It is inerrant, and as such, it's to be the final and ultimate authority in the life of every Christian and in the church. By the Spirit through the Word, we have been born again to a living hope, and by the Spirit through the Word, we are sanctified, and we are sustained and strengthened. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17 says. So it's important that the Word of God, we need to remember this, created our faith. The power of the Spirit through the Word created our faith, gave birth to our faith, and it also sustains and strengthens our faith as well. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46 and 47, listen to this carefully. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, Moses said, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. 
For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. In Luke chapter 24, 32, Jesus opens up the scriptures in the Old Testament to the disciples walking on the Emmaus road. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And he begins to unpack from the Old Testament scriptures all the scriptures that pointed to him. And then Jesus slipped away and the two disciples were left and they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The scriptures bring light and the scriptures bring heat. The scriptures bring fire into our souls that causes us to burn with a holy zeal and passion because God's word is living and active. Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what Martin Luther said about that? Listen to this quote. I think you're going to love this. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Yes, indeed, brothers and sisters. It's because it's God's living and active word. Pick it up and take and read as Augustine was inspired to do right before he got saved. Let it create faith in you. Let it strengthen faith in you. Let it revive you and I. Let it restore our weary souls. Only the word of God is living and active like this. And only the word of God in scripture can give you exactly what your soul needs right now. And in every day ahead, only the word of the Lord stands forever. If I can have the ushers begin to go and distribute communion to us as a church, and if we can quiet our hearts. I have four brief church applications of Sola Scriptura for right now in our lives as the brothers and sisters distribute the bread and the cup to us and as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's quiet our hearts together, and I'll share those in a moment. Four applications of Sola Scriptura for right now. And there's more. The first one, let this be our prayer. A passion to get into Scripture. In other words, let's read it. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, Psalm 19 says. What we need right now, more than anything in our lives, if we're not a Christian, we need to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ and his broken body and his shed blood on the cross 
spoken of in the word and believe it and be brought to new life. But for those of us who are born again, what we need more than anything is a passion to get into Scripture and read it afresh. And ask God in prayer, even right now, to give you a greater hunger for the Word of God so that you can read it and know it. Secondly, second application, a heart that receives the Word and obeys it. So a passion to get into it, read it. Secondly, a heart that receives the word and obeys it. So let's read it. Let's obey it. Let's obey it in the areas of our life where it's hard to obey it. And be ever reformed and sanctified by the truth, because his word is truth. Thirdly, a will that stands on Scripture, even when the truth is unpopular in modern culture. A will that stands on Scripture and says, here I stand. My conscience is bound to the Word of God. Even when the truth is unpopular in modern culture, let us stand on it. So read it, obey it, Stand on it. And finally, a boldness to proclaim Scripture. Paul said to Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. May we as Christians have a boldness, not simply to believe it ourselves, but also to proclaim God's Word as the only hope for this world. God has given us special revelation. He has shown us himself, not just in the general revelation of creation, but also in the special revelation of his word, where we learn about the character of God, but also about the redemptive heart of God, that he will receive any sinner who repents of their sins and believes in his son. Because the word of God contains within it the story about how Jesus suffered his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we might be saved. Read it, obey it, stand on it, proclaim it. Those were my four applications to sola scriptura for us in the here and now. And may God give us grace to do so as we partake of communion. Now, as they were eating, Matthew 26, 26 says, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let us partake of the bread and remember the broken body of our Lord that was broken for our sins.
Thank you, Lord. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us remember the shed blood of our Lord that was shed to save us from the wrath of God and to atone for all of our sins. Thank you so much, Jesus. I'm going to close in prayer in a second, but I was talking with Josh, and a mighty fortress is our God after Luther. I mean, we got to, we got to try to sing that. <laughs> and so I'm going to need your help, because we're going to have to do it a cappella, and I'm going to give it my, sh- my best shot. So why don't we all stand, and why don't we project the first verse up, and I'll, I'll seat the lead in, and you can follow me. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us well. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his confide our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side Jesus the man of God's own choosing you ask who that may be Christ Jesus, it is He, the Lord of hosts, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to unto us, we will not fear, for God hath willed, yes, church, His truth to triumph through us. A prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. 
One little word shall fail him. Amen. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through Him who with us sideth. And goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's thank Him, church. Lord, we close in prayer, putting our hope in Your omnipotent power. And Lord, we thank You for Your Word, which endures forever. Help us, Almighty God, to read it so that we might be revived. Revive my precious brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. God, help us to know your words so that we might understand it and obey it. Help us, Almighty God, to have hearts that receive your word and obey it. Help us to have wills that stand on your scriptures, even in the midst of an increasingly hostile culture to your word. Help us to stand upon it boldly. And finally, Lord, help us to have a boldness to proclaim Scripture. To proclaim it and to see captives set free, like we were once captives to Satan, now set free. The chains have been broken. Our chains are gone. We have been set free because by the power of the Spirit through your word, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Lord, you have saved us, and we are so grateful that you shed your blood for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you suffered your body to be broken, and that you who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in you we might become the righteousness of God. We are so grateful for what you've done, and we commit our way to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day, church, and enjoy the word of the Lord.